Father God, we praise you this morning for this wonderful psalm. Help us to see the heights and depths of your love for us in the Lord Jesus. And please move our hearts to praise you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want us to imagine two very different people who may have come to St. John's this morning. So picture Mark. So he is always full of praise to the Lord. He is thrilled to be a Christian. He knows the sins are forgiven, and he's part of a loving church community. So when he comes to church, you always hear him singing, praising God really loudly. He might even put his arms up in the air. And I suppose lots of us may not be feeling like Mark this morning. Some of us may be, and that's wonderful. But some of us may be feeling more like Mary. Mary always seems to be a lot more muted in her singing. She knows the gospel's true, but she doesn't always feel it in her heart. Life at home is a struggle for Mary, and her relationships at home are full of brokenness. And she might feel especially conscious of her battle with sin, or she feels weighed down by the latest hardship. And so Mary finds it hard to praise the Lord. And Psalm 103 is a psalm that helps us to praise the Lord, whether we are like Mark or we're like Mary. I suppose lots of us may feel like Mary. We may know the truths of the gospel, but there is a disconnect in our hearts. Well, Psalm 103 doesn't give us uh, a means of how to praise, but it gives us many reasons of why we can praise the Lord. The big reason of why we can praise the Lord is that he is infinitely loving. Have a look down at the psalm and just see how many times God's love is mentioned. Uh, verse, verse 4, he crowns us with love and compassion. The verse 8, he abounds in love. Verse 11, so great is his love for those who fear him. Verse 17, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And the problem is, I know that. Uh, if we've been going to church all of our lives, then we'll know that God loves us. But why is there such a disconnect between our hearts, our heads, and our praise? Uh, so we'll come back to the theme of God's steadfast love later. But what David does is he first preaches to himself. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. So Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his, uh, forget not all his benefits. It's as though the psalmist is preaching to himself of the many reasons why he can praise the Lord with every part of his being. And we can learn a lot from this, that the journey to erupting praise often begins with preaching the gospel to ourselves, chewing over truths in our head to make sure they go down into our hearts. Verse 2, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So after this invitation to praise uh, the Lord, he tries to list as many blessings as he can, reasons to praise God. And we won't have time to go into detail into all of these, but maybe we can talk about them afterwards. So verse 3, there is forgiveness for sin. The Lord forgives all of your sins. And this is no small blessing. 
It's one of the greatest blessings of the good news about Jesus, that all of our rebellion, selfishness, idolatry has been forgiven. It's been placed on the Lord Jesus if we're trusting in him. Verse 3, he heals all of our diseases. Our God is the great healing God. He does bring healing in this life, often through medicine and doctors, sometimes supernaturally. But whether we're healed or not in this life, all Christians everywhere have the hope of eternal life, where our bodies will be healthy and strong, all of our diseases will be completely wiped out. The next blessing picks up on the theme of resurrection life, verse 4 again. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. So the Lord has redeemed us from the pit of our sin and has taken us and crowned us with love and compassion. Uh, we might not see that now in this, in this life now, but one day in glory we will see God's crowning love and compassion for us. And then verse 5. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so there is the promise of satisfaction, joy and delight in this life now. That might not mean material blessing, but it promises blessing in the sense that it's a foretaste of what's to come. Unending joy and delight. And so can you see what David's doing to, to himself? He's preaching these truths to himself. There is forgiveness for sin. All of our uh, diseases are healed. Uh, he crowns us with love and compassion. And that begins to lead him to praise. Uh, many times this week, I found it hard to praise, praise God. And I've learned to do what David has done by preaching these gospel truths to myself. And as I did so, I, I learned more and more what it means to praise God. And we'll pick up more on these uh, themes later on. But it's first worth dwelling on the first two words of this psalm. Not praise the, but of David. Of David. We're told that Psalm 103 was written by King David, who was a man after God's own heart. And yet David was a famously sinful king. He had messed up his relationship with God big time. He had lots of sin that needed forgiving. So famously, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. She got pregnant and he tried to cover it up. That didn't work. And then he killed Uriah, her husband. Awful, flagrant sin. And so can you imagine the pain and shame David must have felt? Can you imagine the tear-soaked room where he felt such regret for all the things that he had done? And so he too needed to remind himself of God's infinite love and grace to even sinners like him. And Psalm 103 comes in uh, book four of the Psalms. Uh, so books one and two uh, have lots of Psalms written by David and they're very hopeful generally. Book three has lots of Psalms which wrestle with the effects of sin. And then book four is written from exile where God's people are far away from God's presence uh, in a foreign land. And they've messed up their relationship with God too. They're suffering as slaves, and it seems their future is bleak. And so this psalm is written here to give Israel hope uh, in the depths of exile. They too could echo David's song 
and join in the psalm of praise for God's love. And so verse 7, God's, uh, David takes us back to the start of the Lord's covenant relationship with Israel to the book of Exodus. So verse 7, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And then have a look at verse 8. He lifts a quote directly from Exodus 34, which we heard read earlier. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. These words are directly from Exodus 34, where the Lord proclaimed his name. This was particularly surprising because Exodus 34 follows what happened in Exodus 32, the golden calf incident. So only a few weeks after um, the Lord had rescued Israel from Egypt and Moses had gone up the mountain, the people conspired to make an image of the golden calf. And they worshipped that instead of the Lord who'd rescued them. And they indulged in sexual promiscuity around the calf. So already at the start of their relationship with God, they'd broken it. Maybe that's how we feel at the start of our relationship with God. We break it again and again and again. And yet the Lord relented. After Moses had prayed, he forgave such a sinful people. And then in Exodus 34, the Lord proclaimed these verses. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Which David quotes here in verse 8. Now, th these are only seven words in the original in the Hebrew, Hebrew language. But it's as though God is saying at the very start of their covenant relationship, I will always love you and will never stop loving you. These words, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, come again and again through the Old Testament. It's as though the Lord wants every generation to know his steadfast love, that he offers infinite forgiveness for everyone who trusts in him. And so when David found these words, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, it led him to praise the Lord. There was forgiveness for sin, even for adultery, even for murder. Can you imagine David singing the psalm of praise in his, in his room as he re reflects on his forgiveness? And later in exile, Israel could sing this song too. There was hope for them too. And wherever we find ourselves, whether we're battling with sin or facing a particular hardship, whether it's bereavement or financial struggles or whatever it is, there is hope for us too. But David isn't finished yet. We haven't yet grasped the infinite heights of God's love for us. All of us are very slow to comprehend just how big God's love is for us. He has three pictures for us in this psalm. Picture number one, uh, verse 11, the infinite heights of God's love. The infinite heights of, verse, of God's love. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is, is love for those who fear him. This verse gives us a sense of the scale of God's love. So David takes us into the world of stargazing and he says, look up to the skies and think about just how high the heavens are. Now, as a child, I love to learn about space. For instance, the distance to the moon is 240,000 miles. 
I don't know how long that would take in a car journey, how many arguments that would cause, but it would take a long time to get there. Uh, the distance to the sun is 93 million miles. The next star is four light years away. It would take four years for light to travel to get to the nearest star. Unimaginable scales of vastness in this universe are tiny comparisons to God's love for us in Christ. That's what, that's what this verse is saying. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. People in the um, old movies would often say, I would love you to the moon and back. But God says, I've gone a lot further. I would love you to the heavens and back. Sometimes it may feel that in our sin and our rebellion, in the particular things we're suffering, God couldn't possibly love someone like me. This verse is saying we cannot exhaust the infinite riches of God's love. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Uh, picture number two, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I used to think of this as a compass, so you had east of one side, and then the west was 180 degrees on the other side. Well, that doesn't do justice to what this verse is saying. No, the east is miles and miles in that direction. For example, China in the east, or Hong Kong. We've got lots of people from Hong Kong here today. Uh, or the west, miles and miles in the west, so in the states. We've got lots of people from America, so Hong Kong, China, so, and, and the west. So lots of lots of distance between them. A fact that you can impress your friends with is that the furthest line of sight anywhere in the world is 334 miles. But to the international date line to the east is 12,000 miles, and then to the international date line on the west, 12,000 miles. We cannot see the east from the west. And that's what the verse is saying. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far our transgressions have been taken from us. And so we as Christians, we do not face the penalty of sin any longer. The long southern stain of sin has been removed, and the long shadow it casts has been uh, obliterated. And it's not as though God has ignored our sin or placed it on the carpet. No, he has placed our sin fully and finally on the Lord Jesus and the cross. And so Jesus, who knew no sin, who lived the perfect life, became sin for us. He drained the cup of God's anger. That should have been poured out on me. Just look at verse 9 and 10. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Because the Lord Jesus on the cross took the anger we deserved. So, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far our transgressions have been removed from us. Now, David wrote this many, many years before Jesus, but God in his sovereignty may have signed up a massive cross in the sky. So picture the infinite heights of God's love, and as far as the east is from the west. It's as though God is signing out a picture of the cross. That's where to look for God's love. I don't know whether I'm reading too much into that or not, but we do know the cross demonstrates God's love for us, Romans 5, verse 8. The next picture, verse 13, is the compassion of a father. Let's read verse 13 together. 
As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, I don't know what your relationship with your uh, dad is like. Some of us have had good relationships, and some of us have had uh, poor relationships with our dads. But God in this verse promises to be the best of dads to us. Even the worst of fathers well up in compassion for their children when they're distressed. How much more so will the perfect father well up in compassion for, for us? Verse 14, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. At first when I read this, I thought this was thinking about our mortality. Dust in the Bible is often linked with our mortality. And David does speak about that in the next few verses. But actually, I think this is a reference back to Genesis uh, chapter 2, where God formed Adam from the dust and breathed life into him. It's as though God is thinking about the beginnings of humanity and how he cradled humanity in his arms. Uh, Picture a dad in a hospital ward cradling uh, a newborn child. Imagine the joy welling up in his face. And that's the sort of joy, compassion, that God has for us. Uh, My brother-in-law and his wife recently gave birth to their second child, Poppy, a few weeks ago. She's very cute. She's very lovely. Um, And when James held Poppy in his his arms for the first time, he told me, she belongs to me. I'm going to care for her and protect her. And that's how God our Father looks at us. I'm going to care for him and protect him. I'm going to care for her and protect her. Now, I want us to pause for a moment. Now, if we are trusting in Jesus, we can say with confidence that our creator God, the king of the universe, is filled with everlasting joy for us as a father delights in his children. Just pause and think about that for a second. God, our father, is filled with delight uh, for you if you're trusting in Jesus. Doesn't that want to make us praise God? And that's what David is doing in this psalm. He's saying, look at the heights of God's love. Look at how much he's dealt with our sin. Look at his compassion um, as a father. In verses 15 to 16, he compares mankind's days, the grass or the flowers of the field. I suppose the question is, will God's love for us last? Will God's love for us last? And David answers with a resounding yes. So he says, look at the flowers of the field, in verse 15, 16. Uh, They are here today and gone tomorrow. Now, I don't think we would uh, know about this in rainy rainy England. Well, maybe at the moment it's very hot and dry. Just picture the yellow grass. And it's saying, earthly love fades and withers like those flowers. It fades like the grass. Uh, People's love is not dependable. It can fade and wither. Relationships are seen as disposable. Um, Just look at the prevalence of shows like Love Island. But deep down, we all are looking for a love which is lasting and dependable. But the Lord's love is radically different. So have a look down at verse 17. From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Now David says, wind the clock back all the way to eternity past. God knew you in the depths of his inner being 
and he loved you. And wind the clock forward, and God will still wind you. God will still love you to eternity future. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, For he chose us in him for the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons in Jesus Christ. And it's not just at the extremes from eternity past to eternity future. God's love is with us throughout all the ups and downs of our lives. He will bring us home to everlasting glory. We saw this uh, recently in Romans 8, that God is working all things for our good. But those of us may re- reading the psalm may have felt a bit conscious uh, with the phrase, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and who remember to obey his precepts. Um, and that might be an issue for us, but this is old covenant language for the people of God. If we are trusting in Christ, the one who always feared God, who lived in perfect obedience, then this promise of God's unwavering love is true for us. Uh, if you're not trusting in Jesus, then the Lord's everlasting love can be yours as well. The forgiveness from sin can be yours too. All you need to do is turn and trust in Jesus. But David isn't finished. As he began with an invitation to praise the Lord himself, he now invites the whole of creation uh, to join in in his song in praise to God. So let's have a look down at verse 20. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Because the Lord's love is so infinite and vast, so delightful and dependable, so excellent and enduring, it's fitting that the whole of creation should praise God for that. The Lord's uh, love for us in Christ is the great anthem uh, that creation sings. It's the great anthem that the new creation will sing too. One day we'll sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, as we gather around that throne in heaven. And as we learn to praise God for his love, we will join in with this cosmic song. Everywhere in creation will one day praise the name of Jesus. So as we finish, are we ready to praise the Lord? Sometimes, like David, we are slow to praise. We forget the blessings of being a Christian. I would encourage us to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. Take time to chew over these wonderful blessings in verses 1 to 5. Forgiveness of sin, uh, satisfaction, um, joy, being crowned with love and compassion. And as I said, when I was writing this talk, many times I found it hard to praise, to praise God. I was in a grump for, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe I was annoyed that day or I was hungry or whatever it was. Um, I found it hard to praise God. And I learned to do what David did in the psalm. I learned to preach the gospel to myself. And as I did so, I learned to praise the Lord. And maybe sometimes we forget the, the scale and wonder of the Lord's love. Well, take a walk outside. Look up at the heavens. See how high God's love is for you. Maybe look at the east and the west and see how far apart they are. That's how far our transgressions have been removed from us.
and rejoice in the infinite fatherly love that God has for you. Let me lead us in a, in a prayer. That's for our heads. We praise you, Lord God, for your abounding love for us. We praise you that you have forgiven us all our sin, and Jesus bore the penalty of our sin. I pray that these truths that we've seen in this wonderful psalm, you would work deeply in us, that we would rejoice all our days in you as our Heavenly Father, as you delight in us as your dearly loved children. In Jesus' name, amen.